You're listening to Run, R-U-N, Revive Us Now podcast with Steve Gray. As pastor of the Smithton Outpouring and the Kansas City Revival, Steve is a leading voice of revival worldwide. Steve shares his life-changing encounters with God, along with biblical teaching that equips you to experience and lead lasting revival. Come, run with Steve and expect God to revive us now. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Revive Us Now podcast. I am your host, Steve Gray, here to talk about everything revival, those things that hinder revival, and most of all, the things that'll start a revival, start a great move of God, the presence, the power, the glory to break into our humanity, break into our churches, break into our family, break into our nation. And I want to help you learn everything I know about revival and even learn those things from past revivals that maybe haven't happened in our lifetime, but they can. We're going to talk about the Laodicean church, or you know which church that is? That's the lukewarm church in the book of Revelation that so many people talk about. Now, I'm hesitant to do it because so many times pastors use the Laodicean or the lukewarm church to almost beat the church over the head when they feel like, well, come on, folks, you've got to get with it. So I'm just going to shake you up, scare you up, or whatever up. And uh, so I don't want to do that because it's really not that at all. And I want to put it into context. And I want to let you know that context is so important. It is so powerful to preach the Bible in context as opposed to immediately trying to apply it to our um, culture or our lifestyle. So let's put it into context, learn a little bit about the Laodicean church, the lukewarm church, and understand exactly what Jesus was saying and how there's so many clues in here to a great move of God and getting a visitation and habitation from the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the one that's doing all the talking here. He's the one that's the center of attention here. And so the Laodicean church is interesting uh, because uh, they had had an earthquake nearby in uh, AD 71 one devastating earthquake, and they were the only uh, city that didn't ask for help. You remember there the church says need of nothing? Jesus said you have need of nothing. Well, when Rome offered them help, they refused. Other cities asked for help, but they they refused. And they were a rich city. They were a banking city. They had plenty of money, and uh, they had a great medical school that had a great... um, way of treating eyes. It was an eye salve or an eye powder that uh, was really successful with people. And interesting, too, they had a dark wool uh, that was really popular and made a lot of money for farmers. So the bankers are making money, the school's making money, and uh, the farmers are making money with this dark wool. It was kind of a fashion trend that sold for a lot of money. And so that's everything going on. So when we hear about, I am rich, I'm wealthy, I'm needing nothing, that's the stuff you say. That's really true. But they they did have a problem. They didn't have good water. The water was bad, and there was water to the to the north and the water from the north like five or six miles away and uh it was great uh hot springs water and had lots of chemicals that were in you know lots of rich things in it to make people healthy and so they'd build uh an aqueduct to bring it down but by the time by the time it got to their city it was no longer hot springs it was lukewarm now you see Jesus is really using examples that they know. Well, then there was another water system to the south in the mountains, and it was freezing cold mountain water bubbling up. And so it was a, you know, it's a 10 or 11 miles away, and they'd bring that in, get that to come in. And, and uh, but by the time it passed through the heat of Turkey, that area of Turkey, uh, it was lukewarm. 
So they didn't have any good water. Now, particularly the water that came from the north, the hot springs, it had so much in it that you couldn't drink it. In fact, if you drank that water, it would make you sick. It would make you vomit. It would make you vomit. It was so sickening. So here we have the backdrop of what's going on in this city and what's going on in this town when Jesus says, well, you're neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. Well, he's not just pulling that out of the air. They know what that means. They're dealing with lukewarm water all the time. And he says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. If you if you don't change, if you don't repent, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Well, he's not making that up either. That's what people would do because this water would make you sick. We've got to understand that as far as a move of God, that lukewarmness makes us sick. It is spiritually going to make us sick. It's spiritually going to make other people sick. And the only way, listen, the only way to get it out so you don't get sick is to vomit it out. You got to get it out. If you if you drink the lukewarm water, you got to vomit this thing out or else you're going to get sick. And Jesus is saying, I can't drink what you are giving me. He's telling himself, he says, I have to vomit what you are giving me from your church, from your religious group, whatever it is, what you're giving me, I have to vomit it out because it's sickening. I'm not doing it because I'm angry. I'm doing it because I want to stay healthy. See, so Jesus is not angry here. He wants to stay spiritually healthy, and he's giving a spiritually healthy example saying, what you're offering in the spirit because of your lukewarm condition, you're not hot, you're not cold, we can't have it. We can't have it, and I can't have it as Jesus. I can't have it as a person, I guess, as a pastor either. But Jesus is saying he's got to get it out of him, and they're trying to give it to him as this great religion. So he says, I'd have to vomit you out of my mouth. So if you swallow it, it'll make you sick. You can't do it. And uh, so here he talks about their condition. You see, they say they're rich in need of nothing and, and uh, you know, they all the things I described to you. And he says, but you don't see your real condition. And that's, that's, that's deception, isn't it? That's when deception really gets us, is we can see everything else, but we can't, we can't see our own condition. He says, you know, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. And they don't see themselves that way. He says, you need my gold. You need my white robes. You see, and he mentions the white robes or white clothing because they they really wanted this dark wool because it was so fashionable. He says, no, you need, you need holiness to come. You need my eye salve because they had that special eye medicine. So he's using all the examples in context of things that, you know, they actually had. And he says, you don't need your gold, you need my gold, you don't need your clothes, all this um, this uh, this dark wool that you think is so beautiful, you need to be in white robes of holiness, and you need my eye salve so you'll be able to see your true condition and really see into the uh, spirit realm. And so this is their problem, lukewarm. Just middle, nothing, and apathy, and nothing moves them, and they're just okay, and that. Well, I guess you can see why so many preachers preach that. It's because that's the, what we're dealing with today in so much religion. Today, we can't get people to, to do anything because they don't want anything. They don't need anything. Uh, I was uh, talking about this the other day, and uh, I, I really wasn't being funny about it, but it's kind of funny to think about how many people play on their phones during church, especially during the sermon. And I was talking about the addiction of that. But really what that's saying is it, it's a need of nothing um, sign. 
Because listen, if you need that sermon, if you need the word of God, which Jesus calls it a double-edged sword, two-edged sword, piercing them. If you need the word of God, you need Jesus' word, you're not going to be playing on your phone. So I'm not saying playing on your phone's a sin. I'm saying it's a sign. <laughs> it's a sign of a need of nothing group. If you can play on your phone while Jesus is trying to bring the word to you, then you're pretty much not needing it at all. And so this is the way they were. And so he he tells them then something fantastic. He says, those I love, I rebuke and discipline. In other words, this is how I treat the people I love. Because he tells them, listen, you better repent. You need to repent and you need to to get earnest. You need to get your hearts on fire. You need to repent of this lukewarm, blase, middle of the road. Everything's great. I don't go too far this way. I don't go too far that way. I just love it. <laughs> don't you, when people get around around uh, f- people on fire for Jesus and somebody will open their mouth and say, now don't go too far. <laughs> you know, they, you get around the spirit of God and all of a sudden somebody's warning you, don't go too far with this now. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit saying, now don't go too far? Can you imagine Jesus telling his disciples, now I want you to be my disciples and follow me, but don't go too far. <laughs> so we don't know that. <laughs> we know that's not Jesus at all, is it? That's not Jesus. So here... He's telling him that he can't mix what they've got with what he's got. you got to repent, get earnest, get your hearts on fire, get rid of the lukewarmness. That's the way it is. So lukewarm, being lukewarm, stops revival. You got it? It stops revival. It stops the move of God. Jesus is not going to participate. If we allow it to come in and be a part of what we're doing, it's going to make everything sick. It'll make us spiritually sick. It'll make other people spiritually sick. So he says, stir up, stir up your hearts. Get earnest. Stir up your hearts. Uh, get the gold from me. Get the clothes from me. Get the eyes have uh, from me. Okay, so, so then he says, like I told you, the ones I love, I rebuke. And discipline, so be earnest and repent. Wow. So the problem would be if he's not if he's not disciplining you, or if he's not talking to you, or if you never get a rebuke, because some of us that's the worst thing, you know, we're just running from God because we're so afraid he's gonna tell us something to do. And that's his love, though. He loves it. Now, this is his discipline. He's going to talk discipline to them. He talked discipline to them as we as we talked about the uh, church at Ephesus. He talked discipline to them and says, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove my lampstand from you. And of course, lampstand's got the fire, it's got the oil, it's got everything that we picture of the Holy Spirit. But he's still, he's not upset, he's not mad, he's just trying to tell them, this is the way you're going to need to go. And so then comes the famous line. It says, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Wow, I know you've heard that. I've heard it so many times. Of course, the way we hear it is out of context. Yeah. Now, it's not wrong because people are trying to do good, but let's get it in context. Out of context, it's usually something like this, right? It's an evangelistic sermon trying to get people to respond that I see that hand and uh, you put your hand down, put it up, all that. And we hear the word, okay, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. All right, okay. If you get the hand up, bring the hand down, you go down and confess Jesus. All right, we got something good going, but it's out of context. 
See, it's more powerful in context. You can apply it later, but in context, it's more powerful. Because this is not about Jesus knocking on the heart of an unsaved person. (laughs) This is a church. Let's hope they're already saved. They're supposed to be saved. All these churches are believers, okay? These are believers. And he's knocking, imagine that, he's knocking on the door of believers. But he's not knocking on the door of their heart. He's knocking on the door of his house. You see, this is a picture. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, on whose house is it? It's his house. Yeah, this is is based on parables and teachings that Jesus gave. He said, listen, the master goes away. Then what's he do? He comes back to his house, comes back to his property to see what's going on. See, this is a reflection of that. Jesus has gone away and then he's come back. Now, this is not uh, an an end of the age, end of the world, whatever you want to call it, uh, scripture, because then you put it, well, uh, there's nothing you can do about it by the time you get there. No, this is now. He's standing at the door of his own house. He's the master has come. And we think the master only comes one time at the very end of the age. But no, we can get a visitation from Jesus all through our lifetime, all through the generations. Now, Uh, In a minute, he says, as we keep reading, he says, uh, if you're victorious, I'll allow you to sit with me on my throne. Well, we're not going to do that today, are we? Unless the end of the age comes, unless this is the end. At the end, then we can all be ushered into the kingdom and the kingdom age and uh, final kingdom age of the fullness of the kingdom. And we could sit on the throne if we're victorious, right? So we got two things happening here. One, he says, if you're victorious, there's a future promise, but we're still dealing with the knocking on the door now as the master has come to check to see what's going on. And he says, if anyone will open the door for me, if anyone will open the door, if anyone hears my voice, well, let's get this also. Now there's another great example, and that's the one of the bridegroom, because of the, the bridegroom would come back to get the bride. Well, I was telling somebody about that. You know, the bride, she's supposed to get her beauty sleep. She's not going to stand up and wait by the door all night long, every single night, seeing when the bridegroom comes. Because remember, he doesn't even know when he's coming. Jesus gave the example, says only the father knows. Yeah. And so, and the father tells the bridegroom, go get her. And so that was in that day too. And so you'd appoint a friend, probably a girlfriend, friend, relative, um, to wait up every night and uh, stay awake. And they'd stay awake, and then they'd come wake you up if you're the bride, and come and wake the bride up and say, come on, get up, get your stuff, get going, this is it. And so that was their job is to stay awake. Well, here's the problem. Uh, they not only were lukewarm, they were they were asleep. We learned in the book of Sardis, it said, you know, you need to wake up. You need to stay awake. And uh, it's waking up. And so the, the church and its lukewarmness is like it's asleep. And he says, if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, well, you're not going to hear his voice if you fell asleep. So this is the picture of being awake. So there's both things going on here, and it's being awake now. Then he says, uh, then if you hear my voice and you open the door, what does he say? I will come in and eat with that person, the person who's awake. See, the person who's awake. Well, it doesn't work well to have the, it's kind of a picture of the final banquet, 
it's in later in Revelation, you know, the big banquet it talks about. But this is so unique and personal that I'll eat with that person. Uh, it doesn't even talk about anybody else. So it's basically a person who stays awake. Stay awake, people. Stay awake, listen for his voice, and then when you hear it, you get that visitation. He comes to the door of his own house, or the bridegroom comes to the door of the of the bride's house, whichever you want to use as your example. And he speaks, open the door. He knocks, open the door. And you open the door. Then he says, I will come in and eat with that person. Now, anybody in the first century who heard this would not think, oh, that's going to happen 2,000, 3,000 years, 1,000 years from now. No, they'd know that this is saying he's going to come in now. He's going to come now and fellowship and eat with them meant table fellowship. I'll come and have personal, intimate table fellowship with you, your group. I'm going to have uh, my spirit, my presence, my glory. Everything's going to come in. And so the idea was to make sure you stay awake, not lukewarm, not distracted, not thinking I don't need anything. No. Well, if you don't need anything, you'll take a nap. But instead, stay awake. Be ready, and he said he will come in and fellowship with us. Well, that would be a revival movement. You see, Jesus is the expert at revival. Wherever he went, there was revival, right? He revived people, brought them to life, woke them up, and uh, brought them into that special place. We sometimes forget that when Jesus walked the earth, there were those who were evil and opposed him, but there were those with the right kind of heart, and they would feel his presence. They would know his presence. They know something's happening because there's the Jesus carried the presence and glory of Almighty God with him, even in his body. And uh, we forget that. And we kind of get around religion where there is no presence anymore. There's no glory. There's no, there, there's nothing like, you know, somebody <laughs> said to me once, well, you know, you can't go on feelings. <laughs> I said, that's good because there ain't nothing to feel. <laughs> so, okay, we know we can't go on feelings and rule our life. We got to rule it by the spirit, by the word of God. But I'm telling you, when God breaks open the heavens and come down, you're going to feel it. You're going to know it. It's, it's not going to be, you suppose something's going on around here? <laughs> no. I mean, you study revivals. You study even Jesus coming. Man, they knew the presence of the Lord. This is the son of the living God. And so he says, I'll come in. So there's a lot of things we got to pick up here and, and uh, realize. So lukewarm people, lukewarm church, which is everywhere, I'll tell you, <laughs> I tell you, I was talking to a big old church one time, and uh, you know, and they were talking, they were talking to me about before the service, you know, and I was getting ready to preach in a little bit, and they were just chit chatting about their church and kind of, you know, and it needed a lot. They they had the need of nothing attitude, but I think they needed a lot. But anyway, they, and they were telling me how you know they didn't need much. They were unified, and they were flowing together and they were all, you know, friendly and loving. and everything. So when I got up and I heard there, I saw, I heard and saw the worship and the praise of God. It was as lukewarm, dead doornail, you know, uh, it, it just wasn't any good at all. It had no life to it and nothing, you know, these obviously need of nothing people. Um, and uh, so I got up and I was talking about it and I, they were talking about how unified they were. So I just got up and I said, listen, I heard how much unity there is in your church. I'll tell you why there's unity in your church. You're unified because you're all backslidden. 
Yeah, you're all lukewarm. That's why you're unified. You're unified because you're all lukewarm together. Yeah, well, think of it. It's, it's sort of funny, but think of it. It's not funny in that that is the churches today. You know, we're in this middle-of-the-road, lukewarm condition. Of course, we're all uniform. We're all friends. We're all fellowship. And we're all pizza and, and barbecue and, and everything together. Of course. But you get the Spirit of God to come in, and some are going to go for it, and some are not. Right? And so because we're right now needing revival so badly in our own lives because we're not in a battle between Republican and Democrat, left and right, or color or creed or what. No! This is a battle between the powers of darkness and the powers of God and which side you're going to be on, which one you're going to go for. Because you, there, there is no real middle of the road, is there? There is no real middle of the road. It's a make-believe one. But we're going to go one way or the other. That's why the Bible says choose who you serve, whose side are you on, you know, and draw the line in the sand, who's on the Lord's side, all these great biblical examples. And then if we do it right, we have to be victorious. So Jesus said if you're victorious. Victorious over what? What are you going to be victorious over? You've got to be victorious over your lukewarmness. And he says if you're victorious, then you will be able to sit with me on my throne just like I sit with my father. So you got ears, you better hear this. You got to be victorious and I'll give you the right to sit with me on my throne. But you've got to be victorious over this lukewarm, middle of the road, gentle as she goes, don't rock the boat kind of religion that has crept in. We're so concerned about everybody except Jesus. You know, we're not very Jesus sensitive, are we? No, we'll be sensitive to everybody's feelings, but his, but he's the one we want to come. You know, I always said, you know me, you know, I've said this many times. It says, listen, there's a lot of great churches out there and they got a lot of great things going on. But what I want is a church that God attends. And so if we're going to get God to attend, we better make it suit him. We better get everything right for him, get the atmosphere right for him. I, I, I want you to attend my church. I want them to attend my church. But if I've got to get them to attend and Jesus won't, then I got to turn this thing around and I got to get a church that God wants to go to. And then we'll get everybody else that wants God, they'll come too. Yeah, it'll work. It's just a, a just different way of, of, uh, of looking at it. So we need today to get the, the Spirit of God to move on us. Because listen, we don't want to live under discipline forever. Oh yeah, he loves those, he disciplines those he's loved, but the Bible also says discipline is no fun. Discipline can be painful, right? So in order to get out of discipline, because who wants to... Who wants to stay under this? You've got to change your condition. You can get out of it. You can get out of it, but you're going to have to change and move on and please the Lord. Get out of your lukewarmness, right? Open the door and you'll get out of discipline. Now, is our country under discipline now? Well, a lot of people think it is. I don't know how you think about it. But if we are, we better respond properly or there's going to be more discipline. Yeah. The only way to stop the discipline is to please the Lord and do what pleases him. Follow these directions. And we, we can't stay lukewarm and please the Lord and then hope discipline doesn't come. 
No, we've got to get out of it. You want to get out of it? I want to get out of it. Everybody wants to get out of what's going on and, and uh, everything happened in the world today. So we need to start being victorious over our lukewarm ways. And we got to wake up and stand by the door because he could give us a visitation anytime. But we wouldn't know it. If we're fast asleep, he'll come and then he'll go away. I, I guess we, we think he's just going to stand there and knock forever. But he's at his own house saying, anybody going to let me in? Does anybody care enough to let me in? So I want us to stop the discipline. It's his love, but it's, discipline should not go on forever. You discipline your kids, but you don't want to do it every day. No, you want to enjoy him. So, so as we move ahead, let's take this word into context. Let's not fall for lukewarmness. And it's tough because everywhere you go, there it is. There it is. There it is. I used to tell people, I said, our whole church and your life, my life would all be different. Is that after we got saved, we got to go sit by Elijah or an Elisha or a Jeremiah or somebody on fire like that. If I had a, you know, there was fire shut up in his bones. Well, if I could have sat by that person, I'd have saved myself a lot of heartache. But instead, you go to church and you end up sitting by some lukewarm person or near a lukewarm person, or a hypocrite, or something like that. And then it gets on you. Yeah, it gets on you. It's like fleas. They jump on you. And pretty soon you've got it too. And now you got to get rid of something before you can get something. I had people say that. They say, I want to have revival and the fire and all the stuff you talk about. But I'm going the other way. I'm trying to get everything off of me before I can get anything on me. Yeah, so we got to get the fleas of lukewarmness and the fleas of of half-heartedness and the fleas that we have of hypocrisy. We we got to spend the time in prayer and desire and see our condition. God, open our eyes to see our condition so we're no longer, like you said, we are miserable and blind and naked and pitiful and poor, but no, we're on fire for God. And we don't go with the status quo. We do it personally. We get a personal set our eyes on Jesus attitude, and we're going to burn for him. We're not going to get distracted, and we're not going to get turned this way or the other way. We're going to follow the Lord so that revival can come and get the discipline off of us so we can have the glory and presence and power of God in your town, in your church, in your family, in our nation, and around the world. Well, till next time, let's continue to run this race for revival until I see you again. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Revive Us Now podcast with Steve Gray. Push the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode and spread the word on social media. For more episodes and resources, go to reviveusnowpodcast.com. Until next time, keep on running for revival. Revival.